Greg Masters reporting at SAP Healthcare Personalized Medicine Symposium in Palo Alto. And it is my privilege to introduce you to Dr. David Delaney, who's the Chief Medical Officer of SAP. Hi, Dr. Delaney. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Well, I suppose you're tired. It's been a long day. But uh, so when I, uh, when I first got here, I thought I was an N of one in associating SAP with healthcare. But uh, during the day, I've uh, now emerged with an N of at least five others yeah. to tell me, tell me, SAP and healthcare, what's going on here? Yeah, you know, I think it's like the old, um, you know, Intel Insider, BASF, um, you know, where we are really much more pervasive than folks uh, realized. Um, when you look at, for instance, analytics space, um, we're the number one provider uh, in the provider, as well as payer, as well as life sciences uh, pace through business objects uh, there. Um, we're also, uh, a lot of people don't even realize, but we have uh, success factors through acquisition. Um, we also have Ariba, uh, you know, and other networks. Uh, so people, are, a lot of people are running SAP and they don't necessarily um, realize that. So I, I think we've just not done a great job in terms of really uh, getting the word uh, out there. Is that Ariba, the e-commerce platform? Exactly. Yeah. So you did, were you not aware of that either? Wasn't. Yeah, there we go. So I think, you know, um, if, if we've had the NF5 coming in who are unaware, you know, are, we're on our way to doing the work. But I, I do think we need to get out there, you know, a little bit broader, a little bit more strongly. In the past, we've run, uh, you know, kind of inside a lot of other tools. Uh, for instance, we're embedded inside of Epic um, as their reporting and uh, part of their analytics solution. So pretty much anyone who has Epic is running business objects. Um, uh, underneath their clarity systems. So, uh, you know, we're embedded in many, many organizations, pretty much all the largest organizations, and um, particularly now with HANA as an incredible transformative uh, technology, are really beginning to work with organizations to do things that previously couldn't be done. And I think that's part of the message as well, as we've kind of been largely perceived as a tools vendor before providing reporting and analytics through business objects. And really with HANA, we are now beginning to engage organizations on an incredibly strategic level, where we are working with them to begin to uh, actually get uh, value out of their information assets, begin to convert those that, that information into insight and that insight into impact. And we are, I think, uniquely positioned in terms of having an end-to-end -end enterprise platform that allows us to do uh, precisely all of that. So let's talk about HANA, the platform, and where, where might we see a healthcare deployment? Yeah, well, you know, there's a whole consortium, uh, for instance, of Epic users who are working together uh, using HANA to get uh, insight out of uh, Clarity and Cogito uh, databases and um, are really working to also do agile data marts and, and integrating. We're working with Epic directly, in fact, exploring some of these technologies. So I, I think when you look at the, the kind of state of healthcare now, I mean, we've gotten to a point where, you know, most uh, organizations have, uh, you know, declared mission accomplished regarding their EHRs. Um, you know, some are even thinking about moving and ripping and replacing and moving to new ones, but most have it laid out. And, and once they pause and begin to pivot and say, what comes next? Um, you know, for most of them, it's how do we get value from this? How do we understand our organization? Um, in the era of value-based care, there's a need for organizations to understand how it is they're delivering care. And that, that really requires more than just the data within an electronic health record. It requires end-to-end -end visibility into the people, processes, and, and um, supplies used, right? So you really need that end-to-end -end view. And, and ultimately, the EHR is it's uh, you know the cornerstone of it, but it's, not, it's necessary but not sufficient to be able to do that. So the work then begins to create this end-to-end uh, -end visibility across the continuum of care. Uh, and create that insight, uh, you know, really around the business processes. And that's something that SAP has done traditionally um, extremely well. 
uh, in other sectors, and we're you know, suited to do ext- uh, very well within healthcare. And with Hana, can actually do it uh, in a real-time, very agile fashion. So this is a personalized medicine symposium, but the context here for everyone in healthcare is volume, the volume to value tradition. What's SAP's take there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the two are in many ways, um, you know, very much intertwined. Uh, you know, uh, personalized medicine, one of the key drivers now is that organizations are increasingly being rewarded for performance and providing not just volume of services, but also value and being measured on outcomes, whether it be gain sharing arrangements or at risk contracts with, with you know, a, a real downside and a real upside to them. Um, and those agreements are really part of what's driving the need and, and the embrace of personalized care. So in looking at that, uh, that's where I think HANA is providing us a, a real opportunity to differentiate and really begin to help organizations get that end-to-end seamless look at their data across the enterprise, uh, begin to understand how they're delivering care, uh, where variance is occurring, why it's occurring, you know, what is the best practice? Often you can have very similar outcomes, but wildly different cost and complexity to do that, right? So beginning to identify variance, eliminate variance, and begin to standardize on, on a process, uh, you know, in, in many cases, particularly for high volume, things can begin to drive um, improvement for organizations. And, and again, when you talk to most CFOs today, most don't really have a good handle on what their uh, cost of delivery is and, and really to, to get their arms around it. And so uh, helping organizations determine that insight is uh, of great value, particularly in this world of uh, value-based care. So give us a profile of what might be a typical client here. Are we talking about health systems, health plans, IPAs, medical groups, all the above? Yeah, so right now, I think when you look at it, uh, you know, the larger, you know, mid-sized to larger hospitals, uh, IDNs, uh, you know, payer provider organizations, all are great candidates. Uh, certainly, we have, uh, you know, payers uh, running HANA and, and getting deeper and deeper into it. And I think now that we're seeing, um, you know, HANA is pervasively in the cloud. Uh, you can even use uh, Amazon Web Services, for instance, with it. Um, it begins to lower the bar even more in terms of organizations being able to leverage the power and speed of HANA to be able to, to generate uh, insight. Um, additionally, we're seeing organizations being able to um, create content around HANA, which, uh, you know, in some communities, like the Epic one, they're willing to share with other um, users, uh, community hospitals running Epic. And so I think, uh, again, as more content gets created and is available, the time to value drops dramatically. And, and uh, you know, organizations that can't afford to invest with the hope of being able to turn it into something actionable and value producing, you know, with the horizon of a year or two, once you have some content that gives them immediate value, um, you know, really rapid time to value, I, I think it changes the value equation, particularly if it's hosted in the, in the cloud and they don't have to uh, even host the technology on premise. So HANA, H-A-N-A, acronym stand for anything or what, is, what does it mean? Yeah, there's a lot of lore uh, around it. Uh, you know, generally the most uh, common is that it's, you know, high availability network appliance and that's kind of the official corporate um, line. Um, there's also some stories around, uh, you know, relation to the HANA Highway uh, in, in Maui, and also HANA is uh, one in Korea. And when you look at the one of the guiding principles of HANA from the start, as uh, Hasso Platna, our, our founder, uh, you know, really articulates, is that, you know, it's really moving from this kind of artificially bifurcated world where you have a, a, an analytic database and a transactional database, which, you um, 
are separate and really require great complexity to keep um, in sync with each other, require duplication of data and, and a lot of materialization of data and complexity. Uh, being able to shrink that down to one single piece of data for both uh, transactional and reporting. And in fact, when you look at SAP itself, we are now through S4 HANA, uh, we, we run HANA as an organization uh, internally and we have uh, you know one single copy of each data point. So when you look at financials, for instance, instead of having the traditional uh, piece of data with a bunch of uh, you know aggregates and materials which get run overnight or over a day and then you know uh, uh, reset in the morning we're able to now have one single instance of the copy with no prematerializations of the data and do both analytics as well as transactionals off it so it's a dramatic simplification it's a reduction of the footprint to run it and it, it really uh, you know removes complexity from the system as well as allows a, a speed of analysis that can approach thought in terms of uh, being uh, real time and across all verticals not just healthcare you no, know, absolutely. All, across all 25 sectors, uh, you know, healthcare being one of them. So talk about under the hood of HANA. What's the competitive value prop there versus other platforms in the market? Yeah, HANA is unique in that we designed it. It was designed from the ground up, uh, you know, to be an in-memory uh, computing platform, uh, leveraging key trends in technology, uh, you know, being uh, memories getting ever cheaper and processors, um, while they're getting faster, even more importantly, uh, multi-core is a big trend. And so that you can use that now to keep everything running within main memory. So not like a, a SSD drive, but within main memory. And you can run that in, in a massively multi-parallel fashion through the um, multiple cores in each processor. And you can actually put that together with other HANA servers and actually scale it up linearly. So what it allows you to do is uh, now when you look at um, traditional disk-based relational systems, uh, there's a tremendous amount of complexity associated with them because um, you need to really understand how people are going to want to consume the data and leverage it. And based on that, you model out the data very carefully and you create a lot of um, redundancies and you know, indices and pre-calculations, oh, sorry, pre-calculations and prematerializations of the data based on how people are going to want to consume it. So when they hit the button to run it, it can run with enough speed to provide the answer in a reasonable time. Um, all this requires redundancy, duplication, latency, and complexity of the data. Um, with HANA, we are able to keep it in main memory, so one single instance of it, and then at runtime, you decide how you want to view the data and can essentially um, create lenses to allow you to view the data in any particular way you want to. So you don't need to understand how the data needs to be consumed on the backside. You don't need to understand the important relationships in the data. You can essentially begin to mine, explore, visualize, report off it in an ultra-simplified fashion. So that gives us, again, the, the magical combination of both speed and agility. Now, to circle back to your question, when you look at other players in the space, uh, you know, they've gone from uh, saying HANA was, was kind of a toy and would never amount to much uh, to now having their own solutions in the marketplace, which are in memory. But the big differentiator is that they all are essentially grafting on of Uber caches onto a disk-based system. So you've got to select what you want to put in there or where you want to put, and there's the ultimate overhead of keeping these, these uh, massive uh, caches uh, in memory consistent with the disk-based database system, right? So there's a lot of complexity. It's kind of a Frankenstein system. Um, this was designed clean sheet, and it's really designed to scale up to the enterprise level. So, uh, you know, for those uh, technical folks out there, it's fully asset compliant. So if you pull out the plug on a HANA box, though it's running all in memory, you can roll it back to the last committed transaction. Um, so it, it scales fabulously well. It can run mission critical 
uh, yeah, applications. And, and again, it can scale in a linear fashion. You can go scale a box up or scale out with multiple boxes. So it's really uh, ready for the, the most robust uh, you know, challenges that, you know, again, across 25 different sectors that we've uh, seen customers need. Uh, so you, you're pretty passionate about this. Yes. No, absolutely. I think, you know, we have a lot of great technology at SAP, but, but HANA is a truly transformative one out there. And it really represents, uh, you know, where uh, analytic technology and really data storage uh, technology is moving toward. It's, it's really the in-memory computing. And, and, you know, I'm probably talking about it more as a database now, but really what HANA has evolved to over the last four years by intent is to uh, an in-memory computing platform. Um, because what we found is, uh, though we can, uh, achieve intoxicating levels of speed with HANA. I mean, think, you know, it, it low side hundreds of times, typically thousands or even tens of thousands of times in terms of speed. Just getting a query back a thousand times faster, it's great, but most times you're not done. You haven't actually created business value because then you'll need to take that uh, data, run it through a calculation, maybe run it through a geospatial engine or do NLP or some other action on it. So if the front part, the query retrieval is happening in memory and then you need to go to disk to do these other activities, you've improved the speed, but you haven't really profoundly changed the business process. And, and what we've done with creating this in-memory computing platform is uh, really co-located in memory on a single platform, the kind of uh, activities you'll need to operate on the data once it comes back. So for instance, we've got a NLP engine in there, a pre-calculation engine in there, a predictive engine in there. Um, I think it's a great predictive engine, but we recognize that um, a lot of people out there really like R. So you can call out to R servers or even uh, execute R statements natively within HANA, uh, geospatial engines. And, and it goes on and on. You can actually write uh, code natively um, on top of HANA and leverage it. So um, the idea is, of course, that you can leverage your information assets no matter where they might live, within HANA, within external sources, whatever form they might be in, whether it be um, free text, and then you can be, do the business processes you need to create value all nearly at the speed of thought. So inside this emerging precision personalized medicine ecosystem, it sounds like this is a platform to accelerate essentially a rapid feedback learning loop. You've, you've nailed it. I, I think, uh, you know, the, the opportunity in the Institute of Medicine, I think, uh, characterizes well is, is the move to a learning enterprise where every case can help inform and improve the treatment of patients um, after them. Uh, today, you look at it and, you know, each case is run kind of discreetly, uh, you know, based on the data they have uh, within the EHR, they'll make decisions based on the data there. Um, but what happens is in that patient's discharge, that gets filed and stored and becomes, you know, though it's persistent somewhere it's it's almost as much as just data exhaust because it's not really leveraged again you know it might be done in some retrospective study or something else but the system itself isn't getting smarter um, you know and so really the opportunity here is to feed it back uh, begin to inform the system and this is just isn't in clinical outcomes it's also in the cost side of the equation uh, because the, you know the definition of value of course is not only the outcome but the cost at which that outcome is achieved and so beginning to really understand that equation um, understand where there's reproducibility what the fact are to reproduce it and begin to create things that are reproducible and look at uh, outliers, analyze why they're the case and, and create that the virtuous cycle where you can uh, create improvement continuously in the system. And the ASCO SAP collaboration via the Cancer League program seems to be a material expression of this program. 
Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a very bold uh, endeavor to set out. Uh, you know, ASCO's vision, and I know you um, you know interviewed Dr. Peter Yu, but it, you know, really is to to move beyond the the benchmarking uh, you know that they used to do of uh, quality measures for organizations, which is very good work and very important work, but really moving to knowledge generation, uh, taking data in, uh, regardless whether there's known important relationships in that data. So uh, taking this large amounts of data in regarding cancer patients' care and beginning to analyze it and create new and novel insights to be able to do comparative efficacy and really understand how care is being delivered um, and, and perhaps over time how care can be improved and feeding that back to individual clinicians. Um, you know, And that's part of it, the, the mission back to the oncologist, but also giving the data scientists at ASCO the tools that they can begin to delve ever deeper into the uh, data to create new and important insights for cancer patients and their families. And now about you. Are, are you a, a practicing clinician or a, a clinical informaticist because you have this amazing grasp on the tech side? Well, thanks so much. Yeah, you know, I practiced until just a couple of years ago at uh, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. And, uh, you know, ultimately my travel schedule um, was just not working out with the uh, the weekend uh, shifts that I was covering the ICU. And so, uh, you know, I had to commit. Uh, otherwise, my kids were no longer going to recognize me when I came home. Um, so, but yeah, by background, I practiced for uh, 14 years as a critical care physician. And I also ran uh, web development and applied informatics at Beth Israel for um, almost five years under John Halamka, who you probably know. Yeah. So I uh, had a great experience there uh, helping build, actually coded some systems early on and then ran teams of developers, uh, you know, running the applied informatics and web development group uh, there. And then I also did a medical informatics fellowship as part of my uh, training. So I, you know, I'm an equal propeller head technology person and a clinical. So I, I can geek out, I think, with the best of them. So forward looking, three, five, seven years out, where do you see this trajectory in terms of precision medicine making it into mainstream medicine to where it makes a difference for people like me? Now, that's a great question for all of us because ultimately, you know, uh, healthcare is a full participation uh, entity. You know, even uh, you know, uh, doctors become patients, and you know, we all have a tremendous, uh, a lot at stake with this. Um, you know, I think we're going to hit a tipping point where, um, you know, the, and I mentioned this earlier that uh, you know, the sleeping giant of of patients turning into consumers and beginning to wear the consumer hats uh, going into healthcare and, you know, and saying, you know, why is it in every other sector and part of my life, if I go to an investment, I can have data to help support that investment. But when I get my healthcare, I, I'm based on, you know, gut and intuition experience of individual provider. I think it's going to shift and there's going to be the expectation uh, to see and to understand data. I, I think um, the expectation will be that if there's data out there that can improve the decision, that it'll be brought to bear. And today, a lot of times we we're just forced to throw our hands up and say, you know, this is the data at hand. I will use it in combination with my experience to make the best decision I can. But the data is siloed and it's fragmented. It's locked in uh, unstructured text. And so we just can't get at it right for the decision. I think that's increasingly not going to be good enough. Um, there's going to be really a, an expectation if data is out there that can improve the decision that it will be leveraged and brought to bear. So in part, I, I think we have a, a pretty rapid gain that can be achieved just by realizing using the data that's actually there to create better decisions, bringing it to the point of decision, uh, helping the, the doctor make a better decision or the nurse um, as the case may be. Um, and then the other aspect of it is really moving more into uh, precision 
diagnostics and therapeutics. Uh, you know, clearly up to this point, uh, oncology has been leading the way. Uh, I think just because of what's at risk, because of the complexity of the decisions and the cost of the decisions, both in terms of uh, you know dollars and, and um, you know impact on patients' lives. Um, but I think some of that's going to diffuse out. Um, you know, the genome is getting ever cheaper to sequence. Uh, and, and it's going to think we're going to get to the point where if someone needs, uh, you know, even part of the genome sequence, it's not going to be much more expensive just to do a whole exome sequencing, and, and people will have the data uh, out there. But even before that, I, I think we're seeing clinical trials redesigned with more and more precision basis, where you're defining smaller buckets of patients who are precisely designed, um, defined with a particular illness, and that a particular intervention is measured. And so we're going to see movement from this uh, kind of uh, t-shirt sizing today, where you've got these, you know, small medium, large buckets that, that kind of sort of fit. If you're, you know, perfect fit, you're, it's good. If you're not, you're kind of out of luck. And this is your healthcare we're talking about, not a t-shirt size fit. You know, we're going to move from that to things where we're getting ever more precise in terms of defining patients, what they have and what therapeutic will be best for them. And, and I think, you, you know, it's not going to be a binary thing where we move from today's world to that world. It's going to be, um, you know, movement in some ways that'll seem glacial, um, but other areas where there's, uh, you know, big impact, we'll see it happen pretty quickly. I love the sleeping giant idea. Tell me where you see that factoring into this ecosystem and moving the needle towards precision medicine or patient-centric care. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when you look at it, it's, uh, you know, there's been a lot of focus on uh, the health systems, the health delivery and systems, uh, you know, and getting that right. And certainly there's been a tremendous opportunity to improve that. But when you at it even once on that, that perfect day when you have the precise diagnosis you know achieved in a, in a, in a cost-effective fashion the right treatment uh, you know recommended and the patient goes out that door um, we've only solved half the equation the other half of the equation of course is the patient and, and choices they make whether it be filling that script and whether it be taking that medication and staying on the medication um, how they're able to adhere to difficult recommendations we might make around lifestyle I mean certainly for most patients it's not uh, new news if they're asked by their doctor to maybe lose a little weight, exercise more, um, and eat healthier. Uh, you know, those things are patients know. So we need to be able to engage with them and people who support them to begin to um, help them make these difficult lifestyle changes. Because ultimately, engaging patients to be co-CEOs of their own care, to really uh, engage in more active decision-making and partnering with their providers uh, is going to be incredibly important to solving the value equation and really in the importance of doing long-term health in patients. It, it really has to be both sides of the equation being solved. So I'd really you know, advocate for patients to expect more um, you know, from of data. If there's data out there that can improve the decision around their care, they should expect it. And, and the system should, uh, you know, as quickly as it's able, move to uh, eliminate these silos, improve interoperability, and really bring the data to bear that will really help the best decision to take place for the patient. And also uh, the patients to really engage in their own health, to become more knowledgeable and become more partners with their provider. And, and really look at it not as uh, you know a, a war to be won or that it has to be one in one move, but really as a series of battles that if we can help patients make a better decision, you know, one decision at a time, if we can nudge them more often than not to make a better decision, they can materially make a difference in their own health over time. And, and really that message of empowerment that you know your DNA isn't your, necessarily your destiny, that that you know, decisions we make in lifestyle choices we make decision by decision, day by day, um, really can impact their life. Um, there's a recent study that showed um, that uh, after you exercise that the methylation pattern on your DNA changes. 
right? So the, the rate at which certain genes will be transcribed or not uh, changes based on a single uh, high-intensity exercise, right? Um, and I think it even showed through walking. So you look at it, that one action you can take can affect you even at the DNA level and it maybe make you move a little bit more toward health. And so sometimes I think the enormity of a massive lifestyle change can make patients feel reluctant to get started because it seems like too much. And I think the message is, uh, you know, one battle at a time, one nudge at a time, make a little bit better decision and over time you'll make better habits and really impact your health. Well, there you have it. Dr. Delaney, thank you for spending some time with me. Thank you, Greg. I enjoyed it. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.